Empire Lines uncovers the unexpected, often two-way flows of empires through art. Interdisciplinary thinkers use individual artworks as artifacts of imperial exchange, revealing the how and why of the monolith empire. Well, I think that's a really chunky question. In this episode, curator Hamad Nasser expands ideas of miniature painting, moving around South Asia and Western Europe from the 17th century to now, with Nusra Latif Qureshi's 2009 digital print scroll, Did You Come Here to Find History? Well, my name is Hamad Nasser. I'm a curator, writer and strategic advisor, and I have co-curated Beyond the Page here at MK Gallery in Milton Keynes. And there are more than 180 small-scale works dating from the 16th century to the 18th century, the time when the Mughal dynasty ruled over much of South Asia. It's a rich exhibition. There's everything from calligraphic works cut out of paper and original leather books. Tell me about the context of these works, though, how these great collections of South Asian miniature paintings and manuscripts came to Britain. This exhibition contains works from many of the great collections in Britain, so from the Royal Collection, the V&A, the British Library, the British Museum, Ashmolean, Bodleian, name them all. It's perhaps one of the best kept secrets, uh, and it's not really a secret, but people don't seem to know, just the sheer wealth of the collections of South Asian miniature painting in this country. It's been coming here for hundreds of years, and it's come from four different sources. It's come from gifts, as loot, as commissions and as acquisitions. What in this exhibition we were trying to do is to ask a series of questions. You know, what does it actually mean for this quantum of work to be in Britain? Because imagine if the 20,000 paintings of Turner, instead of being at the Tate, were in the stores of the Lahore Museum or the National Gallery of Modern Art in New Delhi. What would that mean to the histories of British art, to the good citizens of Lahore or New Delhi? Now, this is not an argument for repatriation or restitution. It's actually just for us to pause and think, how do these works work and whom do they work on? And artists from Howard Hodgkin to Alan Davy have experienced them in British collections for hundreds of years. For example, Willem Schellings, a contemporary of Rembrandt, visited the Bodleian and saw the Lord Ragamala. And in this exhibition, we've been able to have that juxtaposition of the Lord Ragamala and Schellings' paintings, where he's incorporating these sort of composite animals that are a feature of Indian painting into his own historical oil paintings. Absolutely, and this feels like both a historic and a historical exhibition. We've talked earlier about there being a responsibility about showing these works because many of them won't be shown again for decades for preservation reasons. And it starts in the courtyard, a community space where you are able to talk about art schools. Here we see lots of women subjects and women artists as well. There's Shazia Sakanda's scroll where we see her moving through her home. There's also an image of the 9th century Saint Rabia, the first female saint in Sufi Islam. Do you think that these works are also bringing histories and perspectives on South Asia that aren't often spoken about? 
That's a really great example to pick on, is not just the idea that the human form is being depicted, because there's quite often a considered view that there is no human body in, in Islamic culture. You only have to look around this exhibition to show that's patently not true. There are, of course, differences of opinion, but there have been not just the human figure, but also women figures in paintings. And the fact that there is a Sufi saint, the story that this picture depicts, is actually quite incredible. Rabia goes for the pilgrimage to Mecca. Her stature is such that the Kaaba comes out to meet her. And lower down the painting, there are a whole bunch of holy men who've been waiting to go to the pilgrimage. And the painting itself is painted by a Hindu artist who's never been to Mecca. So the depiction of Mecca is very different from what Mecca is. So there are all these multiple stories in this tiny little painting. And I think it opens up multiple windows, and I think that's a, a really central feature of the miniature painting per se, and that idea of the courtyard with its multiple entry points, with its architectural features, its windows and its doorways. It's a capacious space that allows multiple stories to coexist. You talked about juxtapositions earlier from the small. We're now looking at the huge, the long. This is Nusra Latif Qureshi's work. Did you come here to find history? A digital print on film that also takes a scroll form. Tell me about this work and the layers of history that we're looking at. Nusra trained in the miniature department at the National College of Arts in Lahore. Um, she's now based in Melbourne. And this work was produced for a collateral exhibition of the Venice Biennale in 2009. And given the location of Venice as really a nodal point where histories, goods and bodies meet and are exchanged, Nusra wanted to be in conversation with that location. Nusra engages with ideas of history being recorded in fragments and that quite often what we do is we make up our own histories through the fragments that we are attracted to. So this work superimposes passport photos of herself, a classic 19th century photograph of an Indian acrobat, and multiple portraits from both Venetian and Mughal sources. They overlap and they meet at the eye. And because it's printed on architectural film, you can see through it. And so we've chosen to hang this right in the middle because we feel in some way this is what the show is about. It's about the past, the present overlapping, and for us to be able to choose our fragments to tell our own stories. Absolutely. And there's a constant conversation throughout the show between the historic and the contemporary that shows continuities between the two. And not just paintings, there are sculptures, films and monochromes made using water from the River Ganges. Even the term miniature painting, we're not trying to pin it down. What we are trying to do a little bit off in this exhibition is to show the types of contemporary practices that are inspired by it. Some of them remain faithful to the modest size. Others, we are now sort of looking at a sculpture by Hamra Abbas called Lessons on Love, which was originally made in plasticine for the Istanbul Biennial in 2007. The work we're looking now is looking at its resin cast. And it shows a man and a woman that are simultaneously in an act of lovemaking, but also holding weapons. You know, those two things that happen at the same time. Of course, it's in dialogue with the historic, so things like the Kama Sutra. But I think it's also carrying out a very contemporary dialogue, a reimagining, a reinvention of the form, akin to, uh, say, somebody like a Takashi Murakami and what he did for manga, to create a popular culture in a different form.
The fact that Hamra Abbas can make something like this, paint on silk those portraits that we saw in the room earlier, or have a comment on the, the Bacha Nama, the work the All Rights Reserved, just show within a body of one artist the different ways that miniature practice and the different forms that it could live in. As well as your engaging with archives and collections, you also look at how artists engaged with them. Back in that courtyard room, we find artists who moved to the UK in the 60s, fired up with their interests in Western art, and how their practices changed as a result of pursuing education and practice here. That's quite an incredible story. And as you say, it came out of the archives of the artist Ulam Mohammed Sheikh the student at the Royal College of Art in the 60s, and he came here painting like Kitai or, or Hockney. But his daily walk to the studio at the RCA at that time took him through the Indian galleries of the V&A. Of course he was familiar with miniature painting from India, but that sort of daily encounter, that immersion in that rich body of work, completely changed his uh, artistic practice. And he went back and took this forward. A couple of years later, Zahur al-Akhlaq arrives from Pakistan, same place, RCA, has a similar encounter. But instead of, like, Ulam's interest in being able to tell multiple stories, Zahur is interested in the structural features of miniature painting, how the border is used, this idea of a frame within a frame, which is so often present in manuscripts, where the different frames would have calligraphy or would have illuminations or flora and fauna. And he takes this forward, not only in his own practice, but when he goes back to Lahore, to the National College of Art, he becomes the head of fine arts and instantly Institute's curricular change sets up the miniature department and out of which have flowed an assembly line of global talent. People like Shazia Sikander or Imran Qureshi or Khadim Mali or Nusra Latif Qureshi or Ali Khazim. These are all people who have come out of the NCA and have engaged with the miniature in some form and have taken it into very different directions. And the scale of these works really invites you in to look at them and to really focus on the details. But it also makes us think about what we consider as art and how we display art. We are still very much trapped in a sort of 19th century hierarchy of art forms and that's been reinforced by the market and it's reflected in institutions as to how people treat a painting or a sculpture with this a work on paper or a textile or ceramics. And I think these hierarchies, one, they're not shared, they're far from universal. And as more wealth and attention slips to, say, Asia, I think these hierarchies are already being flipped. So I think this will change. And for many of the artists here, working on paper is a choice. It's because of the particular sensibility and aesthetic. And not just within this show, but in artists coming from Asia more, more generally, they would make no distinction between working, say, in sculpture, like somebody like a Kim Lim, uh, thought equally of her work as print form or as sculpture, or Anwar Jalal Shamza drew no distinction between his prints or his paintings or his writing. And I think that fluidity is something that is now beginning to come back, uh, or rather beginning to enter the contemporary art world. And in some way, that reflects a way of looking at art 
very close to the literati tradition coming out of East Asia, uh, of these sort of poet calligraphers, writers. I think the institutions have to grow up and understand different ways of being. Too many are trapped within their own aesthetic regimes, whereas what we actually need to do, and that's what's really exciting, is see how we can expand the aesthetic regimes that we operate under, how we can learn anew and look anew. There is a bit of a stereotype, though, around the idea of miniatures, sometimes seen as a derogatory term, and there's a double marginalisation, really, in that works on paper are often underrepresented as well. You've got to remember that this is a hybrid form, usually existed as a book that would be passed around, perhaps in the evening, after a good meal, and they would, you know, admire. How do you create that intimacy, and how do you transform that intimacy into particular scale? People who have trained at this, say somebody like Ashazia Sekander or Imran Qureshi, are able to function not just on that frame of the small page on a book, but if you think about Imran Qureshi's commission for the rooftop of the Metropolitan Museum of Art or Shazia's video installation on Times Square, these are vast city spaces that are being occupied by people who, who work on paper. As while colleague Anna Sloan had argued, miniature painting allows artists to see space architecturally rather than as this sort of one-point perspective that people in the Western tradition have been trained on. And that allows them to toggle between the minutiae and the delicacy of the working on paper to, to taking over the city. One of the artists on display, Ali Kazim, has recently been on show at the Ashmolean. And I was interested to read in an interview, he mentioned how he wasn't aware of the media and printmaking until his first year at the National College of Arts in Lahore, Pakistan, at the time, the only in the world that taught miniature painting. I wonder what is the status of miniature painting in South Asia and how has it been used by contemporary artists for other, perhaps more political reasons now? Even the term miniature painting, it's a term with no fixed definition and it's contested by many of the people who you could say practice it. We're not trying to pin it down, but we are trying to think about the kinds of practices and the kinds of attitudes that it engenders. Uh, There's an attitude towards intimacy, encounter between an audience member and the work of art. There is something around a material intelligence that underlies the work itself. You know? The making of it is as much a part as the thinking of it. Let's consider the work of Ali Kazim, for instance. Um, this is a technique very much of his own making, which he has fashioned out of bits of Japanese wash technique, the Bengal school, and miniature painting. When I first saw his work, I couldn't understand how it was done. You, know, you read the label and it says, water-soluble pigments. Well, what does that mean? So I asked him to uh, photograph every stage of when he touches the paper, and a few weeks later, for a new work that he was in the making, I saw 40 what looked to me like independent works of art. But they were not. They were just different stages that he would literally wash the paper in, in soluble pigments, and the pigments would then stick on the paper, and that would create a layer and then he would wash it again. So the work would be built up in layers upon layers, and then it would be finished. So the portraits that you see have that depth of a making, but it's a depth you can only sort of sense and intuit. It doesn't shout at you. 
we see in some of these works a clear awareness of European prints that were circulating in 16th century India. But also these experiments in scale and in perspective seem to draw from Japanese woodblock prints. In that sense, do these works also decenter the European focus and look at exchanges that exclude Europe altogether? Early in the 20th century, there was a lot of uh, movement back and forth. So places like um, Shantiniketan, the art school associated with the Tagore family, regularly hosted Japanese scholars. And there was an intellectual project dubbed Asia as One, arguing for a pan-Asian aesthetic as a way of creating a visual culture which is uh, anti-colonial, strengthening Asia as, as a civilizational proposition. So yes, the artists that are in this exhibition are borrowing from east, west, north, south, and everywhere in between. So in the show, there is a particular wall. We uh, have work from Abhinindranath Tagore, Abdurrahman Chokhtai, and you can see from their works a close association with Art Nouveau, people like Aubrey Beardsley, Samuel Fizzi Rahman, who was born in Bombay, died in Karachi, went all around the world in between, including spending time at the Royal Academy schools. Uh, where he was taught by people like Sargent. Um, he had correspondence with uh, William Rothenstein. Rothenstein himself was one of the founders of the India Society and actually made a portrait of Abhinindranath Tagore for his uh, English-language production of Gitanjali, that famous book. That is an exhibition on its own right, and it's probably a couple of books on its own right. And you mentioned some of those well-known Dutch or old masters like Rembrandt and William Skellings who were really influenced by South Asian miniatures in their form and subject. Beyond representation of non-Western European art forms, does Beyond the Page also seek to understand the plural origins and influences behind well-represented or well-known artworks? There's a Russian proverb that the future is certain, the past is forever changing. And I think we are constantly reinventing our past to suit the present moment. I think the present moment, especially with ideas of division that are sort of rampant uh, in, in society, call for a real close consideration of the genealogies of our past. And that was certainly one of the things that we're trying to do, is for us to examine you know, who draws from what. Not as a way of saying, right, somebody came first, but just the sheer mobility of ideas and bodies and plants too. Uh, you know, the story of human civilization is a migratory story. Uh, it's not a story of our little island. Uh, you know, these are fictions. Works of culture and works of art are perhaps a way less emotive for us to understand and accept these ways of being. You've said before that there's an empire-shaped hole in British history. You've personally collaborated with the Paul Mellon Centre and worked as part of their London Asia programme. More on that's to come in Cambridge very soon. But you've also worked with the British Art Show, one of the largest touring exhibitions of contemporary art in the UK. How important is it for you that these works travel and that they speak to these shared histories between South Asia and Britain against the displacement of empire, of something that happened over there and then. Well, I think there's this wonderful quote from Salman Rushdie that gets trotted out quite often, which is that the trouble with the English is they don't know their history because most of it happened elsewhere. That's what I was referring to in this idea of the empire-shaped hole in British history. 
the work of the East India Company, for instance. You know, whose art history is this? Is it British? Is it South Asian? I would argue it's both. And the idea, again, is not to think about, oh, well, who does it belong to and which place do we repatriate it to? The idea is to think about, well, how do these histories live? Do we own them? How do we share those histories? And I think until we learn how to share histories, we will not be able to share a place. And I think currently there is a great discomfort in being able to share difficult histories. Part of the role of culture is to allow people to stay with that discomfort, not to brush it under the carpet, but to say, yes, there are some uncomfortable histories, but they are shared histories. And how do we share that burden and not be restrained by it, but allow it to free ourselves for better and different futures? Maybe this is a grandiose claim, but I very much see exhibitions like this or the role of culture uh, to be creating that space where histories and places can be shared. We've already touched upon, Nusra's. did you come here to find history? And I think that is a perfect example. Our decision to put that in the center of the longest gallery within the MK Gallery, so that as you walk on either side of it, you can see not just the other works, but you can see each other. In that, I think there is something hopeful, that within that same history, we can see other people, We don't necessarily have to agree with them. We can take little bits of them, but we recognize the possibility of that coexistence. I have thousands more questions that I could ask you. Thank you ever so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. Beyond the Page, South Asian Miniature Painting in Britain, 1600 to now, runs at MK Gallery in Milton Keynes until the 28th of January 2024. Then the box in Plymouth throughout 2024. For more, you can read my article, You'll find all the links in the episode notes. Empire Lines is produced by Jelena Sofronievich. For more episodes, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going to see the Kimlin show. So I've written text for that catalogue as well. Oh, fantastic. Well, good. You're, you're, you're basically I'm doing London Asia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'd love to get to work more closely with the Paul Mellon Central Philadelphia. Right, let me cue you in and we'll talk.